Hi. So welcome back to First Time Films. Uh, just getting back into the swing of it after the lockdown era is over. Good to be back doing regular shows for you. Um, a few things to announce, so just to introduce who's here once again, joined as always um, on this Saturday afternoon by Jack Higgins. Jack, how's it going? Ah, it's all right, trust me, it's all right. It's all right, uh, just all right? I woke up feeling a bit groggy today, I only had a couple of drinks last night, but uh, mm. sometimes that's what lockdown's done to you, it's the old druth, is what it's called, you know, <laughs> uh, bit the of the groggy throat in there. Uh, <laughs> do you think it's vodka because it was what spot we watched the movie together right that we're going to talk about and it was vodka it was the vodka it was, a, it was a couple was of gins not? I had no, was it gins oh, yeah. gin and lucasade jeez oh well, I, thought oh, I wasn't drinking the lucasade the whole time <laughs> I, had one, I, had, I tried it once because you had lucasade don't try and throw me under the bus here as if I'm some sort of vodka <laughs> weirdo vodka <laughs> lucasade freak <laughs> Uh, I was drinking There's too, many of them <laughs> <laughs> There's too many of those around, Jack. You know, you need to be careful these days, man. Pleasant, it was a pleasant tipple, and then you ruined it with your <laughs> fucking limited edition look as it. I, I notice a pattern here. Oh, sorry, you've not introduced me, so I don't know if I should talk here or not, but I will. Why are you up right now? I'll wait my turn. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Joining the conversation, it is our, well, we'll get on to the announcement, but Kwaku Aji is here. Kwaku, how's it going? Oh, oh my God, what a surprise. Yeah, I'm here. How you doing? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what were you going to say? <laughs> well, uh, Trough has a way with uh, getting people with drinks. With me, it's actually of a different drink, and it's with Schler. <laughs> and I will never forget how, I mean, I'm a guy that I enjoy a tipple. I do pub crawls and so many others. However, there was <laughs> on another podcast that I produce, Eat Seep Suplex Retweet, he brought in Schlur, and somehow I got drunk on Schlur. Like, <laughs> I just got to my head, and I have no idea what he did to the Schlur, but oh well. I do remember <laughs> so, that day. That was because I, I stand by it. It was because it's so hot in the studio. It was just, <laughs> we're all delirious by the end. Like, I was like covered in sweat that day, like dehydrated. It was horrible, man. It was horrible. Um, but what again to the announcement? Basically, um, we're entering what is like a new era for the podcast, right? So we've added on, like, it's been me and Jack uh, first two episodes, then Nikki joined episode three, and then sometimes after that we had Luke join. And since then, we've no really added any regular panelists. But just to share the workload, you know, it's uh, lives are getting busy for everyone involved. So we just wanted to, you know, widen our variety of people we're bringing on. So we're introducing some new regular panelists to you. So I want to make that announcement, the first of which is Ailey Lone, who we've actually had uh, interviewed on this podcast. Um, so if you want to find more about Ailey before she joins the panelists, go and check out that interview with her on the back catalogue. Um, Ian Shearer and AJ Simonton, two of our first guests on the show, are now joining on a regular schedule, which is going to be phenomenal. Um, we've got Erin Michael, who's on our Get Out show, is also joining. And joining as a regular panellist, we're going to call him the cheat sheet, because he's basically never seen a movie in his life, right? And that's, that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> he's in so few films that I could literally put him on any show, and that is Mr. Kwaku Aji. Kwaku, are you excited to be joining the team now? Abs- I mean, absolutely. I mean, I've had, I'll even especially this week, I've had quite a few pelters on Twitter, because... Uh, Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet, we recorded a show on Wrestling Heroes, 
Mm-hmm. And I got roasted by being called some characters that I've forgotten in, he- in superhero films. And I had <laughs> no clue who they were talking about. So I just went, you smiled and went along with it. But yeah. Yeah, I, he called you Alfred. It was what he called you and you had no idea who that was. Which is <laughs> good. So I had no idea who that is. <laughs> so we can do the Dark Knight films. I don't know who Alfred is. Does that help? <laughs> Jack, get back on for an East End of retrospective. NFTTV. Yes, that I can talk about. <laughs> but anyway, we're here. We're here to talk about a movie. But I wanted to start off just to you know break the ice with doing things in reverse order. There was a news story that came out this week that I had to fill you in on. So I'm going to read this from the BBC News website, word for word. All right. A standoff in Ukraine has ended with security forces freeing ten hostages from a bus in the city of Lusk and detaining the gunman after a bizarre intervention by the president. <laughs> Basically, just before the man's arrest, President Volodymyr Zelensky agreed to comply with his demand to post to post a short video with the words, everyone should watch the 2005 film Earthlings. <laughs> So basically, what? this guy in Ukraine had held up a bus, and his only demand was he would free the people on the bus if the president of Ukraine endorsed a film starring Joaquin Phoenix. From 2005. <laughs> From 2005. Oh my god. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know how with uh, Britain, our uh, the government has a policy we do not negotiate with terrorists and stuff like that. I mean, if uh, those are the demands, then maybe we should maybe, <laughs> maybe, uh, listen, listen, know, maybe we should set up like a WhatsApp group or something if that's the only <laughs> demand. Maybe, like, maybe this is the thing with terrorists, you know, they should just t- tone their demands down. Yeah, and I mean, maybe... <laughs> mass incarceration and religious segregation is the least of the worries. I mean, if we all just watch... 2000 and whatever, uh, 2008, the prestige or whatever it is, then everyone would be, the world would be a better place. And yeah. <laughs> if this is the source of terrorism, is just, as if it's the, the next stage is just avid movie fans like taking violence to the streets because they want people to watch their favourite film, I think we're in trouble. You know, yeah, I mean, if, if, if the world can finally get rid of racism and sectarianism and you know, all the all those worldwide problems that are just keeping us apart. One day we can live in harmony, but the only differences between us can be like movie interests and music interests, and we can all just argue about how fucking shit your music taste is or how fucking shit your movie taste is. Eh? Nah, Quacky wouldn't survive in that world, Jack. Nah, <laughs> nah well, we'll have, we'll have trained them up. And the way I see it, Quacky is like the innocent. Know, sheltered child in this, and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna like absolutely, I don't know, gonna render him, and uh, <laughs> and he's gonna have a completely new outlook on movies by the end of this. This Quacky, well, this is it. <laughs> uh, hope, I mean, I, I, I'm here for the long term, so yeah, uh, I'm like the absolute noob of first time films because I literally, uh, even today's film that we're reviewing, I didn't even hear heard of it. Like, literally, you, when you said it to me, I was like, cool, yeah, I'll watch it. <laughs> I have no idea what it was. <laughs> so that film, finally, to get to it, is the uh, 2000 film Almost Famous, directed by Cameron Crowe, stars Billy Crudup, Francis McDormand, Kate Hudson, and Patrick Fugit. Um, it's about, <laughs> very, very close to an hour there. It tells the story of a teenage journalist writing for Rolling Stone in the early 1970s, his touring uh, with the band Stillwater. Uh, who are absolutely incredible, um, and he's trying to get a cover story written for Rolling Stone. It was made on a budget of $60 million, 
It made, in fact, oh, back to the how much did it make predicting game. Jack, Ooh. you've been pretty good at this before. A budget of 60 million, how much do you think it made? Did you say 60 million? 60 million. 60 million in 2000? Aye, man, think about like the, the rock scenes and all that, full arenas and all that jazz, you know what I mean? I so, know, but oof, that's a lot of money. Um, is, is a lot of money. I'm going to say it made... Eighty-two thousand. Eighty-two. Eighty-two million. Eighty-two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we still talking about this movie? They only made eighty-two. Eighty-two million. Quack you. Your best guess, Jack's guess, eighty-two million. What are you going for? Um, I'm going for forty-seven. Quack you, mate. <laughs> you giggled it. <laughs> he's, he's well, well <laughs> yeah. now, now that you say that, I love the fact when you said to me, "Almost famous." The first one I went to was Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Now that I know that you're going to do this uh, as a trivia thing, I'm never going to Wikipedia the film you tell me, and I'm yeah. just going to have complete fresh eyes on it. And, Jack, you you win by disqualification. <laughs> Jack wins by disqualification. Quack, you is correct. Forty-seven point four million it made, so I actually made a, a loss. Um, on the budget, so it, they might have made that up because, like, of DVD sales and all that in the two thousands were a bigger thing, and also it got a lot of awards buzz. Um, so it, it's a it's a flop financially, technically, but there's a lot of other caveats you could put in there. Uh, so, Jack, I'm going to start with you because I've been going on about this movie for a, a long time. Like on record, I've said it's my second favorite film um, ever. So, what were your thoughts on it leading in, and how quickly? Did your expectations change when you started watching the movie? Yeah, I was quite excited for it. You gave me a wee brief synopsis of it and obviously recommended it to me. Uh, you you were saying it's going to be one of my favourite films and mm. uh, and it certainly lived up to expectations, actually. Uh, I loved it. I, I'm so into that culture um, at the time. Although I was a bit kind of weirded out by some bits, I'm probably going to that. But, mm. uh, you know, that 70s rock culture is just absolutely class and um, yeah no, from, a, from an early point in the movie I was absolutely right in there and uh, I thought I don't know something about the soundtrack like right for the off and some of the the way some of the scenes were shot it's just tremendous I thought this is uh, without knowing really anything about the film other than your recommendation mm. I hadn't really seen it as being a cult film or anything like that because I, I hadn't I don't know I haven't seen it uh, listed on anything like in terms of cult films or anything like that, but um, right for the right for the credits, the fact that everybody's you know credits is written and all that, I thought that was fucking class, and then, um, <laughs> it only got better for there. I just thought it's such a a niche way of doing things here, um, in such a culty sort of style of directing, nice. um, and then in the grand scheme of things, it's such a strange film, like such a strange um, concept for a movie to be made out of, like a kind of, I don't know, it's, it's obviously trying to mirror the story of um, bands like Led Zeppelin and the Eagles and Leonard Skinner and stuff, it's obviously trying to sort of mirror the experiences of that and, and what goes into, what went into a band back then and yeah. all the sort of um, disputes that would have obviously came out from drug abuse and um, just, just general, like, Everybody who's a rock star obviously has a sort of personality about them, so you can you you it makes sense now 
and this is a good example of it um, of why a lot of bands in the seventies didn't last very long or yeah. replace their lead singer or replace their lead guitarist or you know there was loads and loads of chopping and changing because you can tell that these guys are all you know probably had a lot of toxic masculinity which is the the term now um but we're also heavily heavily abusing drugs and drinks so um <laughs> as much as they were nice people and made fucking class music and and all that, I, I wholeheartedly uh believe in what they stand for in terms of like the rock and roll image and stuff especially at that time but um it's it's no surprise to us that you know they had a lot of demons and they would have all been um they would have all struggled to get along and i think that's what the movie does well is um sort of ex- explores that those relationships within the band um as well as exploring the kind of role of the groupie or something like that you know uh, yeah um yeah i do think it was a, a good sort of exploration of what it would have been like in a band at that time and as i said the music was just class like i, I think all the way through it i was just um it was just reminiscent of like, all the kind of old rock songs that i used to listen to right um so we'll, we'll get we'll dive into the soundtrack uh, specifically a bit later on but quacky i want to come to you obviously you're saying you went into this not having any idea what it's going to be like was there a what first of all what was your overall opinion in the movie and was there a moment near the beginning where you were like yes this movie's going to be for me or hmm, i'm not really sure about this one uh at this i mean the start of it i found it a bit weird like mm-hmm. It was kind of hard to, I had to watch the start again just to kind of get into what they were trying to portray because it's the transition from him being 11 years old, just finding out that he has actually a head of himself at school and stuff like that, yeah. right up to the point where he's 15 and then trying out to uh, go to San Diego and stuff like that. I just... The transition was a bit too quick and a bit too sudden. I just didn't get it fully. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do get it now, though, but it, it was just a bit... It was like hard to kind of keep up with what were they actually trying to say to me, what what's actually happening, and how did that happen, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Because it just seemed a bit too sudden for me. Yeah, I do get that, actually, Like, because um, there's a lot you need to manage in that initial bit. Um, obviously, we've got William, um, and he's, he's talking to his sister, and we find out that, that music's banned in the house, and his mum's uh, upset his sister's leaving home, and there's just there's a lot happening in that initial stretch before you get to the William who's meeting Lester Bangs and going to the Black Sabbath gig, you know, which is really when the story picks up. Because, Jack, we watched it together, and, I, and you said to me at one point, you're like, I'm loving this, but... I really don't have any idea where this is going. You turned around and said at one point, right? Um, yeah, it just it seemed to me like it could have had so many directions. And obviously, um, all I kind of knew about it was that there was going to be a rock band in it. So mm-hmm. from the start, when it was Francis McDormand and um, uh, like Zoe de Chanel, and it was like a kind of homely sort of feel to it. I'm going like, where is this going? Like, I, I I was just kind of. Yeah, a bit, a bit unsure of what was happening. I didn't, unlike Kwaku, I, I didn't really feel the the transition that sudden. I think I was kind of ready for it to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it was obviously shown that, you know, uh, what is her name Anita? Anita, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anita's moved out, and it, there's obviously this change in the household. But um, what I liked about it was that the mum didn't really change at all, uh, even though she has a different relationship with. 
we will you. Um, the relationship mm-hmm. didn't really change at all, and I think, uh, yeah, I, I was just happy with how it went. I think there was a nice, tra- it was enough of a transition, and then um, you've obviously got. I don't know. I love in a story when somebody's so sheltered that they kind of they do become <laughs> a rebel. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're so sheltered in their life that they have no option. <laughs> yeah, they have, well, they have no option but to yeah to to seek you know what they've been sheltered from. Um, so yeah, no, I, I really liked I really liked how how that came across, and then um, when you get into the actual, yeah, it, I think it is Russell Hammond. Does it know? Yeah, <laughs> mate. So Clacky would tell you this. Jack was like, "Oh, I love." Uh, he tried to say, "I love Russell Hammond," which is the name of uh, obviously Billy Crudup's character, the guitarist. But instead of saying, instead of saying Russell, he's like, "Oh, I love Richard Hammond," and this. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Hammond. And I was like, "What?" So like, we are watching Total Wipeout all of a sudden. Like, what's, what's he's got kind of similar here to Richard Hammond, and although I was, I was a bit thrown off. <laughs> Do I try to have a young, a young James Mayne, perhaps? But... <laughs> no, literally, sorry. Uh, when he as... had the acid trip and he was on the roof of that building. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't wipe out moment there, for sure. <laughs> Honestly, that's what I fucking felt when I woke up this morning. I was I text off, I was like, oh, sorry, I've slept in. I feel like Russell Hammond did it. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, the story progresses. Uh, William gets uh, gets a phone call from Rolling Stone magazine and they're like, we'd like you to do a story from us. They think he's an adult. And he's like, oh, I'll do a story on Stillwater for you because that's the band he's met at Black Sabbath's gig. So the story is basically him travelling the country with Stillwater, trying to get this interview, but hijinks ensue. It's a very, it's a very simple plot, but just to talk about this, the movie's littered with like incredible performances all the way through. So, Quacker, I want to come to you first with this. Who was your fa- who do you just say was your favourite character in this movie? Oh, that's a difficult one. Yeah. Uh, I was always intrigued by Russell. I would say, yeah, mainly because like he's a big, he's he's a rock and roll star and that kind of thing. But there were so many layers to him mm-hmm. where he would have a heart with different things, but also he would fight the demons of trying to live up to the rock and roll lifestyle and stuff like that. And right from uh, like, for example, with Penny, the relationship he had with Penny was quite interesting. Right up until the point, well, I don't know if we're, if we're skipping to that. Yeah, yeah, but, you can spo- you can spoil the plot, yeah. Yeah, That's like um, when he kind of denies the story that was written, it then changes his mind, it then gives another interview. So there was just so many layers to him that just made him quite an interesting character. Yeah, he's such a flawed character. Like, I'd probably agree with you. I think Russell's my favourite um, character in this whole thing because he, he is so flawed and he's so conflicted. Um, at this time in his life and a great guitarist in the movie but it's not actually Billy Crudup who plays the guitar it's actually a, a lead singer of a very a, the lead guitarist rather a very famous band who does it any any guesses from the two of you as to what band it could be just throwing it out there quickly um, I'm gonna mm. say why not gonna go out there with um, I'm gonna say cause because it was made in 2000, I'm going to say Fallout Boy, because why not? Fallout Boy, he's going, Quacky's going to Fallout Boy. Jack, any other guesses there? Uh, I'll go with the Eagles or something. It's Peril Jam. It's actually Mike McGee okay. from Peril Jam, who, who plays the guitar all throughout the movie as Russell. Um, but yeah, I, I love Russell's arc. His relationship with Penny Lane is, is a really complicated one. And I think um, the whole movie is basically Russell trying to 
seeing getting his head out his own arse a wee bit. Mm-hmm. You know, he's thinking he's a bit too big time, too big for his boots. He's treating Penny Lane like shit, treating her like sort of you know, disposable. Sorry, not to cut across you, but that's the thing. That's what I like about. I think that's what the movie does well mm-hmm. is that. See it in the grand scheme of things. He's not actually doing anything that everyone else is. like. He's not doing anything different from every other rock star in that era. Yeah. Um. And I think that's what it does well in the sense that like everybody in the band is clearly a fucking like for for the lack of a better term. A douchebag, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a kid, that's a kind a of douchebag. Like, they are a douchebag. <laughs> I just, you know, I only, only say that just because it's like a pure American rock term, right? <laughs> like they're all clearly fucking dicks and douchebags, right? And they're obviously going to sleep about and change the groupies and all that. And that's the kind of culture that, even though at points I felt, I actually did, as I said to you when we were watching it, Truff, like it was a bit uncomfortable to watch, like mm. because they made such a point of like highlighting that these girls were really young and that clearly they're a lot younger than the band members and all that and it, it just I, some of it didn't sit well with me but if that was you know a, a portrayal of what the times were like then it's you know I'm not necessarily saying it's a criticism but it's just like well maybe you could have made it clearer that they were mm-hmm. at least of age or something I don't know no I, anyway. I agree with you I, I do agree with you because I think it's like but that's the strength of the Russell character is like he goes through it and while the other band mates don't really question the life they're living and they're happy yeah. to just be seen yeah. as great. Well, that, like, so that's what I was about to say. I think that's what they do well is that you, you're kind of rooting for him even though you know he's just like everyone else. You can see and even um, even William's mother says, you know, there's hope for you yet and all that. Like, even, like, <laughs> I love the way he says, times, says that a couple of times. He says, hey, there's hope for you yet, Russell. <laughs> there's, obviously, like, there's obviously something that's within him that, you know, he's got this in a... This, this goodness within him, you know, deep down, uh, and you know that. Well, I, I say you know, but ultimately you're kind of expecting him to do a U-turn and uh, you know correct his wrongs and obviously mm-hmm. make amends with Penny and stuff after her horrific ordeal. So, um, yeah. now I, I would agree that he's probably my favourite character, and he is obviously the kind of main character. Even though William is the main character, I think yeah. like he's the main. I don't know. He's the kind yeah. of story. He's a story that you're following effectively. Williams you know, are eyes, but it's Russell's yeah, exactly. story. Yeah, exactly. You know, right. and exactly. there's one great moment where Russell. I'm glad Russell was brought up quickly because I think that's my favourite bit of the movie. So the band's just had an argument over their t-shirts, and then uh, <laughs> Russell keeps saying he's looking for something real. You know, he really, he really wants to look for something real. So if any they get invited to him and William get invited to this random party and end up going, and he's having a, a talk with this guy called Aaron, and he's like, I, I, you know, you see his him, and he's like, Aaron, you are what it's all about, and it comes to, to Aaron, <laughs> and Aaron's just this really weird nerdy guy, just sort of staring at him. And he's like, you're real, your friends are real, your room is real, and then he's having this big rant, and then all Aaron says back to him is. Do you, want me to, do you want to see me feed a rat to my pet snake? And without hesitation, Russell just goes, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Yes. It's so hilarious. And then obviously that leads into the I am the golden god uh, moment on top of the house and stuff as well. I just, I think that's just, it's such good cinema because it's that, that that's where the movie really picks up is the party and then that sort of sequence ends with them all singing a tiny dancer on the bus. 
um, which is probably the most famous scene from this movie. It's the one you see sort of replayed over and over again. Uh, mm-hmm. Even if you haven't seen this movie, there's a chance you might have seen that scene. Um, for lack of a better term there. Uh, but Jack, Klaku's uh, lead claim to Russell there. Who would you say apart for Russell was your, your favourite character in the movie? Uh You know, I, I quite like I quite like uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman as Lester Banks. Yes, because um, you only get him, you know, in small doses, and he, he, I don't know, he's clearly like this washed up guy who's not very liked. You know, obviously William when he first enters this scene, he's getting called the enemy and all that, and I'm sure Lester Banks would have been um, mm. tarnished with the same brush at some point, obviously in his in his yeah. upcoming. So. Uh, you obviously get this idea that Lester Banks is just now at peace with being the enemy and uh, he knows exactly what to say to what editors to, you know, to get stories printed. And that's right now, that's kind of a young William's goal is to just have his name on something and have it attached to something. Um, and you obviously get that throughout the movie that that's kind of the band's fear. It's still Waters' fear is that he is going to sell them out. And at the end of the day, like... I, again, it wasn't. It's not. Uh, um, it wasn't a very unsurprising ending or an unsurprising like third act where all mm. these things are happening. Russell's starting to come to terms. William does obviously just um, you know write what he wants, writes everything that he's seen, um, and then as I said, Russell doing the U-turn. I think those were all things that I was expecting to happen, but it didn't make them any less effective when it when it happened, if you know what I mean. Like it, it yeah. was still it was still class. I was still like, yeah, like good. Um and that, well that's that's the thing, like and all that thematic stuff you're talking about, that ending is set up by Lester Bangs, like very early on. Say, yeah. First yeah. conversation, he's like, just remember these guys are not your friends and that's effectively what he says the last time he talks to them as well. Yeah, exactly. I, I know I thought I thought he was class. Just a, a good acting performance uh, as well. Like um, for all the little t- like screen time he actually had, and the fact that he was just basically always on the phone, he just portrayed this absolute washed up loser um, mm. who absolutely loves his rock music. But at the end of the day, he's helping this kid like pursue his dream. Really, do you know what I mean? Sometimes mm. in an industry like that, probably uh, especially in the seventies and eighties and stuff, you would have needed somebody to kind of take you under a wing and and give you a bit of expertise. So, um, no, I think he's a good character and I thought a good portrayal as well. Good stuff. And it would quack you, like, I know me and Jack laughed at this moment, but early on it's one of the best laughs in the movie <laughs> when he's talking to William in the Hills first meeting. He's like, you know, I can't just can't stand here all day talking to all my friends. And he gives a wee smile and then it just cuts to the two of them in the coffee shop. <laughs> still having the conversation. Mate, that, that is one of the things that I thought the movie was, was really, really... Uh, class war to be honest the amount of scenes where no the amount of like ends of scenes where you were kind of expecting you were kind of in agreement with the person talking so in that example Lester Bangs you're like well ah, he's obviously a famous rock journalist or a rock <laughs> critic so he's obviously not going to just you know stand around talking to his fans and you're just like the, the acting performance that he's given there you're wholeheartedly in belief that he's going to match him <laughs> and that's the end of it um, but the way it just cuts to the scene with him talking it's absolutely brilliant there's a couple of other ones as well uh, I can't remember off the top of my head but mm. the way that the scene ends uh, makes you believe that nothing's going to happen uh, and it's always the opposite of what you expect 
Um, I thought they'd done that brilliantly, and the, ti- so the timing good. of it was fucking brilliant. Really good. So so good. And the Quacku obviously is well well documented. You, you haven't seen as many films you like. One of the reasons you joined the podcast. But were there any actors that you recognised in this movie from doing anything else? Or uh, well, I the Alan knew. Did, I'll be honest. Like I noticed Jimmy Fallon in there. Yeah, <laughs> Jimmy Fallon showing up. I'm also wondering if you may be able to quit, uh, correct you or not. But did I see Bash from Glow in there at some point? I don't know if you've seen Bash, mate, but you certainly did see um, Mark Madden, who plays, he is, a, he is on Glow, but he plays um, Sam, the director. That's it, that's, I knew I saw, sorry, I, I must have got mixed up, but I knew I saw, like, he was in the, um, at one of the gig venues and he was just shouting in a funny shirt. Yeah, he's the and guy I, who who they run out on and they break his gate. So that's that's, he's, he's chasing uh, them. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's a good spot. And I, I was actually, that was the one I was happy you spotted there. But there was a lot of other cameos in this movie as well with quite famous actors. You pointed out Jimmy Fallon. Rain, Rain, Wilson. Rain Wilson, who's yeah. Dwight uh, in The Office, shows up. Um, Eric Stone Street, who plays Cam in Modern Family. Uh, was there as Sheldon, the desk clerk, who gets freaked out by uh, <laughs> by William's mum, who leaves a message saying, don't take drugs, which happens throughout the movie. Uh, <laughs> two performances I do, we do need to talk on. Mum freaked me out, man. <laughs> <laughs> so this nomin- the movie was nominated for four Oscars. Two of them were in the Best Supporting Actress category, and they were for Kate, uh, Kate Hudson um, as Penny Lane, and uh, Francis McDormand as William's mum, Elaine Miller. Just briefly, guys, there's not much more to say apart from both of these women are just tremendous in the movie. Tremendous. Mm-hmm. Aye, both are absolutely class. For different reasons. Aye. Like, uh, I think the dryness of um, Elaine Miller is absolutely tremendous and just the absolute like neurotic mess that she is throughout the film is makes it... <laughs> It makes it so much funnier, like the whole thing. Um, and that uh, no, Penelin, Penelin's good, uh, good character. Clearly, you know, a, a big part of this band, like in this, obviously, this image uh, for mm-hmm. the movie. Um, I, you know, I don't have any criticisms of her acting performance, but I, I, I don't, I don't think it was amazing. Like, I don't know. Mm. Still good. I don't know, maybe I'm just being picky. We'll go to, we'll go to Quacku for that one then. Uh, yeah. Obviously, sharing the, the the craze of Francis McDormand, but where did you stand on Kate Hudson as Penny Lane? Were there times where you're like, I'm not sure, or were you in the camp that it was a Oscar-worthy performance here? No, definitely. I mean, well, I, I don't have much of a barometer, unfortunately, to what's <laughs> good or not, but from what I've seen, now she... Um, you did have a kind of buy-in to her character what she was portraying and stuff like that um, especially the fact that she, you can see the confliction in the fact that um, she obviously had feelings towards like Russell and she also had feelings towards William which was a, 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 a kind of weird thing to see in that kind of space because both of them are completely polar opposite in terms of people However, mm-hmm. they they obviously have to collaborate somehow, work together somehow, because was a rock and roll star, was a rock and roll star fan trying to write a journalistic piece on mm. people that he loves kind of thing. 
uh, touching on William's mum, I've got there's two scenes that I love from her. <laughs> it was when she first dropped off William, and she said, don't forget, I think it was the family whistle. And yeah. she the family whistle and said, don't take drugs, and everyone in the crowd just goes, ooh, that. <laughs> <laughs> don't take drugs! <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> I loved, and I also loved her negotiation standpoints that uh, she had with uh, Russell on the phone. And, yes! I, mean, I love that so I mean, much. Going back to what you said at the start about the hostage negotiation, that sounded like a tougher negotiation, that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the... Because it's the, it's the, it, the phone call finishes, right? And he's like, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, by the end of it. And they do like the group huddle before they go on stage. And they, <laughs> Russell just turns to William and he's like, your mom really freaked me out, man. <laughs> 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 it's so, so class, man. But... Talked about the performances there. Jack, you talked about it earlier. Huge part of this movie is the soundtrack. Um, it's a huge part of the experience because it really makes you live um, in like that time. You know, you feel like you just want to listen to that music for the rest of the night, like after yeah. you've finished it. So I'll, I'll ask you, what was your favourite track featured in the movie? And was there a particular reason, a moment that stands out to you with it? Um... Uh... <laughs> I quite liked, uh, was it Paranoid, uh, Black Sabbath? Yeah, Par- Paranoid yeah. plays out. Yeah. I, I kind of liked that, but that was one that, like you were saying there, it gives you the kind of feel of what it would have been like. That was the one they're obviously queuing up, I think. Is it mm-hmm. the, I think they're queuing up to go see Black Sabbath, funnily enough. But um, yeah, I don't know. That That's one that sticks out to me, and I can remember on top, off the top of my head, like that scene with that plane. Also, um, Rain Song by Led Zeppelin. wasn't even mm-hmm. a particularly... Like prominent moment, but it wasn't a, a particularly big scene. Or I can't even really remember who's talking to who. Somebody's talking to Russell, I think, about yeah. Penny Lane and you know what he has to do. But I just, um, I think that only stood out because I've not heard that song in so long, and I was like, oh, that's good. <laughs> so good. Quack, <clears throat> any musical um, moments, any songs you recognised here? Yeah, um, for me, it was well. Obviously, it was said who it was, but it was. When uh, William was looking into the radio station in San Diego, mm-hmm. and this uh, song by Iggy Pop and the Stooges was put on, yeah, uh, I've forgotten the exact name of the song. Uh, Search and Destroy was the track. That's it. That's it. Because um, it was just the way he, he was just announcing, like he was pulling vinyls, like. I'm <laughs> I, um, this is like the one hipster thing I do. I do collect vinyls myself because. Nice. I'm a DJ and I've got decks, so I love collecting vinyls and stuff. And mm-hmm. it's just the way he was like picking this vinyl, that vinyl, saying that rubbish crap. And he's like, oh, Iggy, he puts that on and right enough, Search and Destroy is such a good track. It's such a good Thunder rock song just to put on. That's nice. a good pop for you. Nice, man. I love the moment um, that's before Penny, uh, like ODs, and he's running through the streets to try and find her through the taxis. And it's uh, Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's by Elton John playing in the background. I just think it really slows it down. It's like a really emotional song. Like, it sort of accentuates the emotion of that moment as well. Uh, Surprise no one picked Alvin and the Chipmunks. Uh, The Chipmunks uh, without (laughs) representation at this juncture. Uh, What is funny, though, is that uh, Jason Lee 
who plays, uh, I think it's Jason Lee who plays the lead singer of the band, ends up starring in the Alvin and the Chipmunks movies like 10 years later. Um, oh, as, like, the guy. Does, yeah. uh, so that's a bit mental, you know what I mean? Just that, that coincidence. And he also is the voice of Syndrome and The Incredibles. And I had to point out to you, Jack, to just ruin his voice anytime you heard him after that, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Jason Lee. And a decent voice, because I think it was him who actually did the singing. Um on on the the tracks, so yeah. wasn't well, class. I was going to ask yeah. actually. I mean, I, I knew obviously the you said the guitarist wasn't um, yeah. was Russell. So yeah, I'm pretty uh, sure it was Jason Lee who did who did the vocals on it. So yeah, yeah. yeah kudos to Jason Lee. Well um, done, Jason Lee. By the <laughs> well done, Jason <laughs> Lee. <laughs> if there's one thing we can take from this film, it's, it's well done, Jason Lee. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna round it up just now. Um, with just a couple of stats here. Um, basically, Almost Famous was ranked the the 79th uh, greatest film uh, since the dawn of the millennia in 2016. Um, Wait a minute, there's an actual stat for, like, there's an actual, like, it was a ranking? poll conducted by the BBC, so it's, it's not official, you know, it's just a, <laughs> it's right. a collection of opinions. Uh, but also, that's so specific. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Hollywood Reporter did a similar poll, um, but instead of since the 2000s, it was all time and it ranked 71st. So, um, 71st greatest film of all time, uh, some people think this is. Uh, so, just, yeah, just to round out overall thoughts in the movie then, uh, Quacky, we'll come to you. Um, would you be interested in watching a similar film about this time after this? And Or do you think, like, this film was made just by, like, the strength of its cast and its writing, you know, rather than the time period? I think, like, um, for me personally, like, because obviously I, I do do other things within wrestling and we do have journalists within our within our team and stuff like that that do those um, kind of things, but except it's with wrestling stars and they work with wrestling companies, so it's not like they're following, like, a tag team or whatever. Yeah. I, I, I think because of the period in time this was, I'm interested in just that. I'm not so much interested now because I'm suspected that nowadays, unless it's like a one-off kind of thing, it's more like a press conference or press bids that would kind of happen. Yeah. Not not so much the whole like following a band, having like a really outdated recorder to record and tape, which I found yeah. incredible, by the way. Yeah, um, that's so good. And also, I think it's um, more interesting to kind of know, because, I mean, like, uh, we were talking about certain aspects that have not aged well and stuff like that, and it's kind of good to learn from, learn, like, what what they've considered a norm back then, and obviously not carry that over to nowadays and grow from it. So, yeah, I, I think for me, I, I mean, if, it, if they made it, I would watch it, but I don't see the need for it if they made it into the modern era, if you know what I mean. Nice. Well, before I come to you, Jack, I need to correct myself. It was actually Marty Friedrichsen uh, who did the vocals for it. I had to dig deep for this one, but he's, he's actually he's wrote songs for The Struts, Aerosmith, uh, Carrie Underwood, uh, Daughtry, Ozzy Osbourne, Motley Crue. Uh, so a very successful man, you know, mm, in his cool. own right. Uh, a lot of work with Aerosmith. Um, as well, so yeah, I'm happy with that. Uh, but Jacket Lou Quacky was saying leads on a conversation we were having about this film that its charm is based in its time period because it's it's almost sad to look back on it. You never you're never going to have this environment where 
rock stars or musicians are larger than life like they were back then again. So you couldn't really make an almost famous equivalent for the year 2020. Yeah, no, you're right. I think the time that it's set in and also the time it came out mm. are quite important and for its success. Um, I think, obviously, the 70s at the time would have been a bit of a promiscuous time, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, there's obviously this whole... It explores a lot about the culture of groupies and how they operated, um, and it kind of makes a bit of a joke about it, um, you know, because they're obviously... They come across heavily as sluts, apart from Penny Lane, who's like the leader and yeah. seems to have her head screwed on and all that. But there are, the other ones really come across as like pure idiot sluts that are just following the band because you know, yeah, you know, you know and and I don't doubt that that might have been the case for some groups of women at the time, um, you know. But I also think that it's an exaggeration. Um, and if it had came out now, there would I think it would be under a lot of fire for how it's portrayed these young girls. Um, yeah. Whereas the fact that it came out in two thousand probably not didn't meet the same um, meet the same criticism. Uh, mm-hmm. But I do think it's yeah. If, I think if it was going to be done again, then as I, as I mentioned earlier, I would make it more explicit that the women under Penny Lane's protection like those girls are maybe seen as being a bit older um, and mm-hmm. Penny Lane maybe doesn't have as creepy a relationship with William who's clearly 15 at the start yeah. you know she's like saying oh yeah I'm only, I'm only 18 too I'm only 17 16 all the way down to 15 you're like right I don't <laughs> I don't really see why that even has to be in there you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not that, well, not that that was like a big pure moment for me, but I just mean I don't. I don't even really see the need for her to have even had any, um, not even sexual attraction, but any sort of romantic attraction to him. Yeah. She could just admire him for what he is as this innocent boy. You know, she didn't. Um, I know she's. I, I don't actually think it's confirmed what age Penny Lane is, but Kate Hudson in the movie mm-hmm. is. It's 20, isn't she? We, we checked. Yeah, she's, uh, she's 20, 20 at the time. And I, I don't know what Patrick oh. Fugit would have been, to be honest, but, um, you know, mm. I think the, the thing that I'm trying to say is there's a clear difference in the ages between them and a clear difference between the ages of Penny Lane and the band members. Mm-hmm. And she's obviously in that in-betweeny stage, which, you know, as I said, in reality is absolutely fine, but if you're going to make a movie of it, I would maybe try and tone down the sort of sexual undertone to it because it was a bit like, oh, that's a shame for her. Like, she's clearly been warped by the the power that these rock stars held at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said, like, I have absolutely no doubt that it was a thing that happened um, in the 70s. Yeah. I'm sure Prince and Black Sabbath and the Eagles and all these big like world bands that uh, went on big tours I'm sh- I don't doubt they had absolutely flocks of women uh, yeah. you know trying to get into their parties and trying to get into their, their hotel rooms um, yeah. but you know it, it becomes a question of moral standpoint and uh, where you stand on it and you know even though it may have been a thing then uh, you know I certainly wouldn't condone it right now and I, I wouldn't want to see you know girls doing that now I don't even think they would. I can't imagine big... Well, actually, I can't imagine flocks of women trying to get in one direction's bedroom, but they obviously are. They obviously are, but I feel like, you know, maybe now it's more like a respectable thing, you know. They maybe want to get wined and dined by
um, <laughs> for the jump in. Maybe they wouldn't. Fuck knows. Fair enough, man. Fair I mean, enough, if I had I the, think... the chance to shag Shakira, I would, but <laughs> <laughs> without hesitation. He just had to go all the way up to Shakira. <laughs> all the way up. Yes, it I don't always know what I'm saying. It, but... it always ends with Shakira. Yeah, but <laughs> so, uh, almost famous. We're all in agreement. A great film, but it leads us to um, a couple of news stories to finish us off today, guys. Um, delays, basically, uh, from Disney. Um, Mulan's was set to be released um, in August 21st. Mm. It's now no longer on the calendar. So they haven't even pushed Mulan back. They've taken Ooh, it off the calendar. Indefinitely. Mm. Yeah, so we don't know when Mulan's going to come out. It's been filmed and stuff like that, um, but we don't know when that's going to come out. Um, every Star Wars film uh, so we don't have definitive answers for what these Star Wars films are but every one that was scheduled on the slate is now being pushed back a year and mm-hmm. also shock horror every single Avatar movie has also been pushed back a year <laughs> as well So, <laughs> which is pretty par for the course at this point um, Quacky, I, I take it you haven't seen Avatar so I'll just just it's par for the course so there's not really much to talk about with this particular story and it just to inform you is that you know this is the way cinemas are going to be for a while because um the talk of it is that worldwide release dates are now going to become a thing of the past uh for the immediate future because movie studios don't know when every single government in the world is going to open their cinemas or loosen the restrictions. Yeah, so, exactly. So now what we're going to see is some countries are probably going to get movies like maybe two, three months in advance, um, while other countries will have to wait and it will be it will serve vice versa, just depending on what's happening. Um, but I, I need to ask you this, like I'll come to you first, Kwaku, do you think this could see... You know, maybe pirating go up again because it's not really a thing that's been yeah. Quacky, <laughs> <laughs> what the question I'm really Shiver asking me is: timbers. <laughs> Are the baddies back in business, Quacky? Are the baddies back in business? You tell me. I, 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 Davey, just a random name. Davey in the corner will be relishing in the, the success. He'll probably find himself on the FTSE 100 at some point. <laughs> <laughs> He's making incredible sales because of this. Uh, exactly. I can't wait for the new multi-pack DVD- CDs that come out now and DVDs. <laughs> They've got like four movies in one. And uh, one of them, <laughs> every second movie is actually in like the Spanish-speaking language. <laughs> uh, They've got English subtitles, which is good. Uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, mate, uh, good, good picture quality in that as well. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, also, Tenet um, has been moved back. We don't know when Tenet is going to be released. No! <laughs> new, new Mutants that was meant to come out three years ago um, appears to still be on the calendar for three days' time, but we really don't know what's happening because not all our cinemas are open in three days' I, time. So <laughs> I can honestly say, like, um, I think these films that are going to be huge, I, don't, I can't see them releasing them until way until next year because I mean mm-hmm. even the venue I regularly DJ at and the room holds uh, 250 people yeah. and with social distancing in place basically the maximum capacity is 40 yeah so it's it's like you, you can't you can't it's that's not even a quarter of the standing and nobody in their right mind is going to release something knowing that you can only have like not you not even 
uh, a third of the revenue you could have had, if you know yeah. what I mean. Nah, I get so you. I just, yeah. I just can't see it happening. I think you're completely and, right. And, and that's the best case scenario if they're open with social distancing, never mind completely closed off. Yeah. So, yeah, I can't. I yeah. can't see it until wait until next year for things. I think that's that's just it. Um, another small caveat is for any Star Wars fans out there, it means the next time a Star Wars film will come out, it will be Christmas 2023. Um, it's looking like, which I don't think is a, a bad thing. Um, I think Star Wars needs a bit of a break. Um, it's moved to TV, has been very successful for it with The Mandalorian, and Mandalorian Season 2 is still set to come out by the end of this year. Um, so I don't think we necessarily need another Star Wars movie uh, before nah. 2023, so you know, I'm happy I've, for that. I've been on a 31-year break from Star Wars. I <laughs> <laughs> One thing we should point out is Quacko entered uh, the first-time film Star Wars Gauntlet for charity at Walkabout in Glasgow and technically came second. Uh, no, no, because... no, 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 don't, don't put in the technically. I came in second place. <laughs> Stop there with your technicality. I came in second place. Quacko came second despite never seeing a Star Wars film. It was, it was quite something. Um, but um, I threw this news story to finish uh, just for Jack Higgins here. Uh, the story is Cynthia Arrivo is set to star in musical drama talent show um, about at-risk youth. So um, basically fresh off a pair of Oscar nominations uh, last year. She's uh, this a universal film she starred, uh, set to star in. Um, she's going to play a failed songwriter who comes back to Chicago to lead a group of at-risk youth uh, put on their annual talent show, which sounds like a really nice movie. Yeah, but at the same time, At the same time, Jack, you know you're going to get from... Fucking incredible vocals from Cynthia Evo oh, here. Oh baby, yeah, kind of way. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds actually really good. Sounds like a, um, I don't know. I like movies that are so specific like that. Like, mm-hmm. what? It could have, it could have been any group that she came back to, or it, she could have chosen any different path, but to, um, you know, educate at risk youth. That sounds class. Um, yeah. And it was uh, Lena Rafe who wrote the uh, the most recent draft of the script. Um, she's famous for Queen and Slim, came out last year. Um, she starred in Westworld in a recurring role, um, actually, and she was in Ready Player One at one point as well, so she's quite famous she as well as a writer. Um, oh, Nitty, don't you bear with me. No, no, it's a, it's a smaller role um, oh, that she okay. plays um, than that. But aye, yeah. So um, that's that's happening. Quacko, have you heard of Cynthia Arrivo? No. Nope. Definitely go and check it out because go and, in fact, I'm sure Jack will send you some Spotify links over. I will do. Uh, go, and li- go and listen to her voice, Quacko. She is an absolute queen, for lack um, of a better term. No, I'm like I'm 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 open to. Although I'm very pop culturally challenged, I'm very open to opening up my horizons. So yeah, anything. Just, I have a virtual straight jacket on, and I sat sat down in front of the TV and I watch it. <laughs> get yourself in the bunker, Quacko. Get the box set so, you know, That's what you need to do. Uh, well, listen, it was it was a great show. It's good to be back, you know, and uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. And um, we don't know what's going to be next time. Basically, the way our schedule is going to work from now on is when we get the new group chat established, we're going to see what films uh, will be on the docket, who wants to do what, and then we'll have a better idea of scheduling. Um, But until next time, until that's sorted, it's goodbye from me and from everyone else. Goodbye. Goodbye. Catch you.